We are going to be talking about the issue of your rights online and the different laws that apply to the online space and what... um sort of is at your disposal in your arsenal if you like if you feel, feel that your rights have been infringed online Nicolene Skuman Lowe is an attorney and the managing director of Skuman Law Incorporated and as I said I've asked her to chat to us today about our rights and our responsibilities online Nicolene it's great to have you back on the show again welcome thank you so much for having me as sure. always I know you'd like to break it down in terms of the relevant laws that apply in this space and what rights they give us as well as the responsibilities that come with those rights. Nicolene, shall we start with the Protection of Personal Information Act? I I think there's no better place to start, actually. Thank you, Pippa. Um, The Protection of Personal Information Act, or POPI as we we refer to it in in the fraternity, is really about, I think... uh, ensuring that we know what personal information means in the legal context. And that as a starting point is really important because it's anything that is uniquely identifiable or relatable to a living human being, being the keyword living, Mm -hmm. or a business entity. So both businesses as well as persons that are still alive and well are protected under the Protection of Personal Information Act. And that is really important because it sets us apart from our international counterparts, whereby only individual people are protected and not really businesses. So that's a really positive thing. Okay. And basically it means that you have rights over anything that is uniquely you, whether it's your opinion, whether it's your medical information, your contact details, a photograph, the list is really endless. And that's why the definition is so comprehensive if we look at the act. Okay, now in terms of, um, obviously, that that gives us the right to have some of our information kept private and to be given the right to to indicate what we will allow to be shared and not shared. Nicolene, if we feel that somebody is infringing on that right and that somebody is disregarding um, what Poppy promises to do for us, how does one go about challenging that uh, in the online space? Well, firstly, and I think this is where the practicalities become a little challenging. So, in principle, Poppy prescribes eight pillars or eight measurables across which we will determine whether information has been collected and processed, the verb, in other words, uh, what the data processor or the person who has your information is basically doing with it. So there are eight pillars that prescribe this is lawful or this is a lawful way of dealing with someone's personal information. Mm -hmm. Now, practically, the problem that we are sitting with as individuals is that information gets collected from us and often then passed along to someone else. And that's really where the problem sometimes arises. And when we try and contact that party person asking, A, where did you get my information? And B, please stop using it. We then find that there's no one on the other end, mm. right? So it could not uh, a crawler, all these technical terms for non-human. And that is really the problem. So technically, we should be able to contact the person who we feel is infringing on our rights. And from that point onwards, we are 
able to say, please delete it, please modify or update from a puppy point of view. If they don't do that, we can then report them to the information regulator. But in most instances, that point of call is actually practically not possible. Sure. Complicated, but yeah, as you say, if, if it's a, a, an automated system that has scraped your information from somewhere you entered it, uh, very, very hard to know who or how to report. Okay, Nicolene, thanks for, for clarifying that. If I can move on with one eye on the clock, um, I think the, the next thing I want to ask you to talk about a little bit more is social media, given that this is a space that so many of our listeners play in daily, that I engage with them in daily as part of this show. Um, obviously, wonderful opportunities for connecting with people, for voicing your opinion and sharing your thoughts on social platforms. But that isn't a, uh, isn't a free-for-all. It's not meant to be a free-for-all. With rights come responsibilities. What would you like our listeners to know about their rights when engaging on social media platforms? I think first and foremost, we need to have a rule of thumb that what we wouldn't share or say physically in the real world out loud when we are seeing each other face to face we shouldn't be sharing or saying online often we think online gives us a shield to expressing ourselves potentially in ways that we wouldn't do in a normal social environment and that is often the very fine line that gets overstepped and gets people into trouble. Mm. So I think a first point is what we won't say in physical presence in someone's face or in a social group physically, we shouldn't be saying online. And for the most part, that will keep us um, on the right side of things. Secondly is also to maybe look at those privacy policies of these platforms we are using and looking at the settings on our devices and seeing what we are saying yes to for purposes of collection from us and to be more vigilant. If you don't want your mobile device to have full access to your photos, which, you know, if there's a a breach on one of these platforms that we are making use of, which could then thrall through through information we wouldn't want to be um, all over the World Wide Web, then we should be vigilant to know what is this collecting? What am I voluntarily sharing? This is often a very technical, factual question. Mm. But I think we should be more mindful of what we are putting out there. What is this going to look like 10 years from now? Specifically, maybe as parents even, and what we are sharing about our children on our social pages. Just think about the fact that your child is actually a separate person and what is this going to look like 10 years from now when they are possibly looking for employment or looking for an internship and then there's this legacy content that may they may not feel comfortable with um, that you have shared. Mm-hmm. So I think it, it becomes quite complex, but a good rule of thumb, I think, is what we wouldn't share in real life face-to-face, we really shouldn't be sharing in a social media context. Nicolene, what about when you are on the receiving end of somebody who have, has overstepped that mark? As you've said, you, in a perfect world, we wouldn't say anything on a platform uh, online that we wouldn't say face-to-face. But if somebody does go there and crosses the line, you believe, into the realm of harassment or hate speech, for example, does one start firstly with reporting to the platform it's happened on or are there other better strategies if you really feel that this is, this is behavior that needs to be called out? Well, that's a reality, and and I think we should definitely have a conversation about it. 
Yes, most of these platforms have a facility where you can report harassment, unlawful and even criminal behavior. But if we look at this from um, a jurisdictional point of view, many of these platforms are not in South Africa. Mm. A lot of them are in, in Europe and they've got presence in the U.S., so the point is that we can mark this as inappropriate and in most instances the content is removed. But by the time we've reported it, it is probably somewhere else as well. Mm-hmm. And therefore it becomes, particularly if it's, if it's very inappropriate or um, if there's profanity in it or, you know, it, it's really serious. We should actually look at the Cyber Crimes Act we can report that um, under our South African law. And then, of course, if we know who is perpetrating not only the creation but the sharing of the content, the Cyber Crimes Act is, is really great in that it's given us the ability not only to pursue the creator of the content but also every single person that likes, shares, comments it that makes it spread like a wildfire. Mm. And then, of course, we've got our restraining orders in inverted commas, the protection order, that if we are able to identify the persons related to the screen names that may be participating here, we could also use that mechanism in order to um, prevent further posts or further sharing or further spreading of the content. So there are options. It's important that when it happens the first time to get yourself um, proper legal advice and to deal with it swiftly, mm. these, these things tend to get out of control on a much greater level than any other form of harassment. Yeah, yeah. Nicolene, I want to go back to what you just said about the Cyber Crimes Act, that it is not only the creator of inappropriate content that can be got after by the law. It's every single person who has liked or shared it. And I want to revisit that that thought and, and just go a little bit deeper there, because that, that is the one thing I think where people feel or sort of don't digest that they are complicit in the chain of sharing you know, if it comes through on your neighborhood WhatsApp group, for example, and you give it a thumbs up, that is regarded as being part of the chain of publication, uh, as they call it in legal terms. Won't you just tell us a little bit more? Because I think it's one thing people see, think, oh, well, there's no harm in just passing on this message or on liking the post that my friend shared because I, I hear where she's coming from, but without thinking that it potentially makes them part of the firing line, as it were. Um. Be- of Cyber Crimes Act, which is notably a, a step in the right direction from an international perspective as well. We were actually only sitting with a, a body of law or various laws that actually only looked at the creator of the content. And often that was really tough to prove. Look at the data and try, track it back, particularly if, if it was a viral post that has been over multiple platforms. So it's a really important development now to say that not only the creator of the content, in actual fact, it's often very hard to prove who the creator of the content is, but actually every single person that spreads it, that shares it on a WhatsApp group, for example, is um, complicit within this. It's uh, seen as a a shared criminal act. And that's really important because that means 
for each of us sitting here and listening to the show today, we need to decide what are we going to like, comment, share on going forward. And we need to be very careful, particularly if it's a post that incites violence or hatred or any form of, uh, I almost want to say, an ex- excessive emotion. There's one thing for us to, it's one thing for us to express our opinions, but it's quite something else to incite others to follow our trajectory or, or our opinion. And, and that's almost, a, there's a distinction between expressing my view and expressing my views in order to lobby my uh, support for my opinion. And the minute it crosses the line where it incites people to be violent or to be abusive in any way or form, we have a serious problem. Nicolene, we've got unfortunately far too many examples in South Africa of people who have posted, for example, racist ransom videos that went viral. Um, what you've just said makes perfect sense that the creator of that video can be taken to task. So too can somebody else who shares it. What then if the person who shares that video, but with a comment saying, look at this idiot, can you believe somebody said so? Where would they sit legally? Because they're part of the chain of publishing that video and spreading it uh, with its harmful content. But they've done it in a way that says I'm distancing myself from the content. Where would they stand? It's just a matter of out of curiosity from a legal perspective. That's a very interesting question because that person, if they were to be charged with being complicit or adding to a, a problem that potentially caused harm or damage to someone else, they would naturally raise a defense to say, but I actually spoke out against it. I, I, I actually said that I didn't agree and this is absolutely unacceptable. And surely I have my right to, to express myself, freedom of expression from a constitutional point of view. And it, it depends on the facts. It depends what happened with that particular post afterwards. So I think this is going to be an interesting one for our courts. Mm. We've seen some of this litigation um, or this type of litigation abroad. We've seen how artificial intelligence, in other words, non-human tools are used to to spread this kind of thing to a whole new level of frequency. And it remains to be seen how our courts will handle someone who partakes in in the sharing and the discussion, but actually um, sides with the unfairness. And, you know, it depends what happens thereafter. It's the causal link between Mm. action and equal and opposing reaction in science. So I think we we need to watch this space closely. And we need to think before we like, share and comment. I think we that's the point. We we haven't been thinking about what we've been doing and that's what got us here in the first place as a as a human race as hmm. a society. Nicolene, thank you for the reminder to think before you like, share or create content. Nicolene Skuman Lowe speaking to us, their managing director of Skuman Law Incorporated.